LMT is a lens by which you assess all economic understanding. The street is full of corruption. It is baked in to every aspect of our society. 1900s, Lenin was predicting global finance capital would do all the things it's doing today. This is written over 100 years ago. All right, everybody, it is Steve, the Rogue Scholar, and we're going to talk about class war today. And it's going to be from a different angle, because if you've read theory and you've read any of Lenin and Marx and Engels and Rosa Luxemburg and every other socialist thinker out there going back to the dawn of socialism, you understand that we have been at war as people, as regular rank and file workers with the ownership class, whether it be through overt slavery or whether it be through horrible working conditions whether it be laws that are stacked to make us do what we don't want to do in defense or in support of capital's mandate or capital's edict or capital's desire or whatever the laws in society have always worked against the common man the laws and society have always been a battle of class of the people who have and the people who have not and we're not just talking about the poors and the rich there's a whole different breed of people above and beyond rich people people that earn a living people that maybe have high salaries like for the nfl which is why i wore the stupid shirt bottom line is is that we have class war at so many levels and we are really kind of conditioned to be okay with it i mean fundamentally we we say we're not but fundamentally we kind of are apparently okay and i want to tell you how this all plays out and i don't know how many of you all have watched the very very disturbing jeffrey dahmer monster dahmer on netflix okay i got through about one quarter of the first episode and was like just jaw drop was overwhelmed was like wow this is going to be freaking intense somebody said yeah go ahead and finish the rest of it it's not what you think go ahead and watch it and i did and i'm kind of glad that i did because it showed once again the standard little boy who wasn't quite right who wasn't quite normal had you know different you know was different different kind of look nerdy uh probably uh you know kids poke fun at him, teased him when he was young, you know, kind of thing. And, you know, it reminded me going back to, you know, elementary school, even you know, my family did not have a lot of money. Uh, we grew up in a, an area where everybody else kind of did have money. Um, but we didn't. And, um, Christmas was typically me getting hand-me-downs or, or something to that effect, or one of those cheap, Korean toy store, you know, toy parties that multi-level marketing used to do back in the day. And my mom would go and buy a bunch of this really, really cheap plastic stuff that by the time you open it on Christmas morning, if you celebrated Christmas, I was a kid, I celebrated Christmas and it would literally break falling out of the package, you know, and you're expected to be thrilled and happy and be grateful that you got anything and so forth. And then your next door neighbors call you over. They've got a new 35 inch big fat TV, the kind with the big back and all that stuff. And they got a, 
um, uh, what do you call it, a ColecoVision or a Nintendo back in the day, or they, you know, and you're just sitting there and they're like, oh, what did you get for Christmas? So from a very, very early age, I think people are used to comparing each other to each other to see how they stack up. And when you're the kid that goes to school in hand-me-downs and the kids down the street all have Forenza or gas jeans or, or whatever was in, in now it's probably seven jeans or maybe there's apple bottom, who knows, whatever the hell they are. The bottom line is that there's always a way that people with money dress. Okay. And there's always a way to identify people that don't have money. Okay. And so when you go into school, you can tell the, pretty girls all had their hair did and they had the really nice clothes and everything. And you could literally openly, they weren't even like hiding it. They'd sneer at people that didn't have nice clothes. And how dare you think you can talk to me? And this is not at the ownership class, folks. This is at the rank and file class, right? See, this is what class war does to us because at the ownership class, they don't even think about this stuff. They just keep us busy fighting with each other and, you know, envious of each other and back and forth just so that we can, you know, keep distraction from fighting back against them. But little by little throughout history, the way to divide class, the way to destroy class solidarity, the working class, the ownership class, the way to destroy that is always to give people more, a little bit more. You get more, you get nicer things, you get, uh, you know, whatever it is, right? The bottom line is something to differentiate where you fit, okay? All of a sudden, some kid comes to the senior parking lot at your high school. They've got a fully souped up, fully renovated 69 or 67 Camaro with brand new leather seats, shined up, beautiful, freaking massive, just beautiful vehicle, right? Vehicle that no child of the age of 16 could afford on their own, but they come to school with this car that daddy bought them. Now, all the people in the school are dealing with this shit too. Now they're looking at him and all the girls have kind of swarmed down to the cool guy with the cool car and all the other stuff. And now there's all this resentment, all this hatred, all this pseudo class war that's going on, right? I mean, we're talking about always one inch above the pig slop one inch above the pig slop, but there's that difference, okay? And because there's so much envy and so much hatred and so much, honest to God, elitism that goes on and so much excommunication that goes on, so much otherness that goes on, we're always alienated from just feeling good about ourselves. Now, going back to Dahmer for a minute, Dahmer was abused, severely abused, mentally abused. He lived in a household with a mother who was a drug addict and a father who was a workaholic, and they fought like cats and dogs, and he lived, lived a very, very rough life, okay? Went to school, was picked on mercilessly at school, and you think to yourself, I wonder why he might be deranged. I don't know. Now, I know other people somehow or another dealt with the beating, somehow or another dealt with the abuse or whatever, somehow or another dealt with it, and they didn't do what he did. Agreed, no question about it. But just like trying to rectify income inequality afterwards with taxes instead of up front with policy to prevent 
that accumulation to begin with. Okay. Instead of doing it there, they try to claw it back from the front. Well, it's the same way with this wrecked kid and Dahmer. They only start trying to fix Dahmer after it's been determined that his freaking apartment reeks of freaking dead bodies. And somebody, one poor black guy runs out of the house screaming. And the police bring him there. They find him, thank God. But little did they know that this exact scenario had played out in the very beginning of the Dahmer run. Dahmer had gone ahead and taken a 14-year-old little boy off the corner, brought him home, drugged him, took pictures of him, and this kid knew he was about to die, knew he was going to die, got up, tried to run outside, and he was all drugged up, and lo and behold, the cops are there, and they're just like, oh, gay things. We don't want to deal with gay things. Oh, my God, it's gross. Oh, we're going to die. So basically... They just figured, oh, this is just what gay people do. They beat each other or something like that. And so they bring the poor kid back into the house with Dahmer for him to be crushed and killed. Now, I'm saying it's not because this is a Dahmer podcast or Dahmer show. But I'm saying this because so much of society is fucked up because of elite children and their parents that made them snobby as shit. And then they go off to fancy schools and then they look down their nose at everyone and their struggle. And how dare you say things in a crass way? How dare you express your anger out loud? How dare you listen to that horrible, heavy metal music? What, what kind of a loser, a loser, what kind of loser can't tolerate 20 seconds of a heavy metal song and considers it somehow or another challenging that there's a 20 second intro that's got to break free from this, hold on me, whatever. Right. What kind of loser does it? It's classism. Right. It's elitism. And once again, it's all stemming from class war. And why? If these people are workers and you're a worker, then clearly you guys should be on the same team. Right. Right. Again, yes, you are on the same team, though. That's the thing. But the powers that be above have convinced you that you are not on the same team. And so you're fighting with one person two inches above you on the pay scale have better clothes better cars better house better whatever instead of focusing on the people up top that purposely set the divide there why because you blamed yourself as a child as a child you already blamed yourself for being less than you already had been convinced that you were not good enough that these rich Fucks, these fucking horrible, wretched, evil trust fund babies that got the spoon handed to them and they sat there and tormented the poor kids, tormented the kids that came in with jeans that were a uh, Wrangler or Rustler instead of freaking Guess or Forenza or Sassoon, ooh la la Sassoon and Jordash and all the other shit back in the day. You know what I'm talking about. And so that person starts off immediately. That person starts off immediately alienated from society, alienated from their own peace of mind, alienated from their own joy, alienated from being able to accept the world around them and enjoy life. Why? Because they are being funneled into a system that makes you feel like a pile of shit unless you've got money. Unless you've got the trappings of life, unless you've got the nice house, the nice car, the nice clothes, the nice hot girlfriend or the nice hot boyfriend or whatever. 
unless you've got the vacation home and you've got the other thing and you've got the this and you got the that and all the little trappings of this world. You're striving. You're thirsty for that. Because society, every step along the way, has tried to convince you that you are not good enough as you are. You're not good enough as you are. And so you're always trying to get better and be better. What does that mean? In this case, it's not necessarily a good thing. So I look back and I think to myself, Here's this guy Dahmer that freaking bleaches bones and eats people and fucking butchers them and torments them. And, and I think to myself, what is the worst possible thing that could ever happen, right? Other than obviously something horrible happening to your children, right? That's that's bad. To me, I always think about being captured or, or kidnapped or taken against my will and being restrained and not being able to fight back. That is the most terrifying thing in the world to me. I don't know if it's claustrophobia. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, it is real. It is serious and it is painful to think about, right? And you think about what's going on here. Once again, you have somebody who has been oppressed who now wants to take a captive because they have a desire that was left unmet. And now they are oppressing someone else. And this system of oppression leads to violence every time. Sometimes it's just, Violence in terms of alienating your spirit from your, your person, alienating, you know, the good feelings you might have about helping another person or, or helping anyone else or, you know, accepting help or receiving help because horrific, I mean, folks, the worst people in the world will get behind closed doors and they'll talk shit about the other guy. Oh, I don't like his heavy metal music. Oh, he's mean. Oh, he's this. Oh, he's that. Oh, she's this. Oh, she's that. Right? This isn't the real war. This is the way it affects us. This is the real world. It really hurts the person having it done. But we, if we just try and address each time somebody says something mean to us, each time somebody gives us a side eye about the clothes we're wearing, each time they give us a side eye about where we live or the words we use or whatever, right? It's, it, you're missing it. This is a symptom. This is what capitalism does to us, right? It creates the makers and takers. You're a taker, fucker. You're a maker, you son of a bitch. You're a maker, you're a taker, okay? It starts down low, way low, way, I mean, way low. We're already starting out competing with each other. We're already starting out not being cooperative. We're already starting out working against each other from day one. Why? Because he who has the most toys wins. He who has the most toys wins in this society. But that's not reality. That's not reality. When you die, your shit fucking doesn't go anywhere. You don't carry that with you. It's done. You're done. It doesn't matter. Everything you were and are happened. You're gone. You don't exist. Now, you might in spirit world, if you're religious, if you're a Christian, if you're, you know, any number, maybe you have the afterlife, whatever, that's fine. But right here, right now, right here, right now, you're left living in this dog-eat-dog -dog world where people at the bottom just destroy each other. People at the bottom destroy each other. You think about this, right? Back in the day when Air Jordans were a thing and all these jerseys, Big time thing. Kids in school would get jacked. They get their shoes stolen from them. Okay. 
and get the shoe stolen. It's a legitimate thing. Some poor kid got together with other poor kids and then went after the kid two steps above him on the pay scale or whatever, took his shit, beat him up, made him feel like shit. This guy now hates all of them. And these guys say, fuck him. I don't care about him. He's just another person I stole his stuff from. Why? Why did that happen? Did it happen because people are naturally evil that just steal things? No. No, it didn't happen that way. We abuse people to the point where they don't think life is worth living. Or worse, they need these things so that they can afford to buy food and stuff like that. Exactly, Bacon's Rebellion. We'll get there. And um, ultimately, uh, getting back to it, when you think about what I'm saying, this is always the constant grind. Now, Republicans and conservatives have a horrible disposition. What they value and how they behave is just atrocious. They are willing to allow everyone to suffer as long as they are not inconvenienced and as long as they get to stay ahead. That is the God's honest truth. But they don't think of it that way. In their mind, they're not thinking of it that way. They really think that poor people deserve to be poor because they didn't work hard. They believe that anybody can succeed, no matter what. You understand what I'm saying? They believe this. They believe you're ne'er do good. If you're in jail, you deserve to be in jail. That's why we need more cops, right? You're going to take their stuff. They want cops around to make sure you can't take their private property. They're going to hold on to their private property so you can't get to it. All the while, and this is the most perverse part of this. All the while, society has been intentionally built this way to force us to strive. And the way we strive to get these things is to go to college, to work hard, to, to get a good job, to you know make a lot of money, to be able to go on trips and stuff like that. And then you, in turn, look the other way and go, yeah, motherfucker, you didn't work hard. You don't deserve this. You didn't work hard. You don't deserve this. You notice I haven't even talked about the ownership class yet. Really? All I've talked about is down here at the bottom, the sniping and the efforts to get over top of each other, to be the best slave possible, to be the best of the proletariat. You know, you're, you're, you're king of the heap of shit, right? You're king shit for a day. So when I think about this, I think to myself, how many of you all remember when you were growing up, I have no idea how old you folks are. I'm going to age myself here. I was born in 69, 53, very much came up in the metal scene, the punk scene, hardcore scene, very much a different person. I lettered in choir and theater. Seriously. I also lettered in football for what it matters. I wasn't very good. Went to all state choir, was singer in bands. I was a drug addict, a drunk, a womanizer of all sorts of shit, right? Everything that could possibly be wrong with me was wrong with me. I wanted to die. I didn't want to live at all, literally at all. Multiple attempts to try and off myself back in the day, multiple times. Okay, One time landed me nicely in the hospital where they pumped my stomach and everything else. It was very, very frightening, okay? But it's all this, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. 
Understand what I mean? I'm not good enough. I'm a loser. I'm useless. Everyone hates me. I should have never been born. Why did? It, why was I put on this planet? Why, why? 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 How come I lost the lottery of birth? How come I'm not good enough? How come that girl thinks I'm ugly? How come that guy over there thinks I'm a dick? How come that person over there constantly teases me? How come that person waits till I walk in the school and beats me up every day? How come I got my lunch taken from me? How come this guy over there fucking cheated on me, you know, like took my girlfriend from me and they sat there and mocked me in the middle of the auditorium or whatever, right? Sounds a little too personal there, doesn't it? Like maybe I've been through that, huh? Anyway, point is, point is, when you grow up, when you grow up as a drunk drug addict, running the streets, doing whatever, you didn't start there. I guarantee you, imagine mom and dad holding you in their arms, loving you. You don't have to worry about anything. They don't have to worry about anything. They're not rushing off to make money for the man. They're, they're taking care of their child. They're spending quality time with their children. They're, they're enjoying the arts. They're taking care of one another. Understand what I'm saying? If you think about this, Dahmer's father was rushing out the door to go away for three days for work. Now, many of us, like myself included, I used to hop on a plane. I'd go to California for two weeks for work, come back home. Now I have kids. Somebody was taking care of them, right? Something was going on. I don't know how it happened, but somehow or another, they got taken care of. Somehow or another, somebody fed them. Somehow or another, somebody got clothes on them and put them on the bus and sent them to school or whatever, right? All these things happened, but they happened in a divisive way. The family was already fractured with tension, you know? And I think to myself, they always, always, always intentionally try to create hierarchies. Now, I used to be very anti-hierarchy. Then I came back and I was like, oh, you know, hierarchy isn't so bad. Now I'm kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. Because of the nature of the way capital works, sometimes they want to invest in STEM because they need people to do these jobs. But once they filled up the need for those jobs, they want society to be relatively dumb. They don't want them to think for themselves. They don't want them to do that stuff. So as you go rush off, trying to make something of yourself, trying to try to class jump, try to jump out of the poverty you're in and go up, right? You go to school, all of a sudden they have a tax. They have a tax to prevent you from joining the ranks of the elite. See, that's what the American dream is. It sucks, it sucks, it sucks, it sucks, it sucks. Hey, you've arrived. You're a billionaire now. You're a millionaire now. Life is good now. That's the dream, right? You're going to go to school. You're going to do, well, what do they do? Used to be school. I mean, these, these boomer folks that are out there right now that just got there to have their degrees. They would pay $2,000 maybe for a freaking entire degree. Now, I mean, you know, I've talked about it. 120 some thousand dollars worth of student debt right here. I only took out 80 some. That's not only, it's a lot of cheddar, but because of the freaking compound interest, it's now up to 122,000. 124,000, something like that. I'm telling you this because this is all in pursuit of chasing the dream, not just chasing the dream, but surviving. 
They make society dog eat dog, so you have to strive. And they scriptures are, they, there's the prudence, the 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 joy of life is found in striving. We've got to work hard and blah blah blah. And this is where the Calvinist bootstrap mindset comes in. You mesh up Calvinism and bootstraps, and you mesh it up with your already existing feeling of insecurity and absolute alienation. And what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're going to be chasing after degrees, trying to get up there with them. Those people up there. Now, listen, I'm telling you right now, folks didn't have money. They did not have money. If I wouldn't have gone to school, I'd probably be a trash man right there. No, no, no uh, denigration of the, the uh, profession. It's just, I, I, didn't want to do that. And that's what I would have gotten. No education. That's no problem. You could do asbestos removal, Steve. No, no education. No problem, Steve. You can do this. And if you're lucky, you might get a job making, I don't know, whatever. And you too can subsist. Okay. That didn't sound like a very, very good option. So you go to school chasing and chasing and chasing. Yes. Oh my God. Thank you so much. Yes. And oh, I feel bad. I mean, so many good comments, guys. Thank you. But I want to talk about this too. I mean, this whole thing, you know, the gatekeeping of professional licensing scams to enter the elite, all based on lies. Absolutely. Uh, we could talk about that too. And we probably will. Got a shit ton of certifications, right? Because I have two, ma folks, two master's degrees. Started a PhD that I couldn't finish. So a lot of debt for the three semesters of the PhD I couldn't complete, all right? But I was not well-to-do. I was doing very poorly. My shoes were always fucked up. My clothes were sucky. Everything about it sucked. I was very envious. I felt like a loser. And so I had to try and kill myself mindset anyway. I didn't have to. I thought I had to. And so I chased after all these things, trying to fit in, trying to make it, whatever that means. And that is society today. So many people are doing it. Some people don't even have any college debt because their mommy or daddy covers it for them and they get to go through life scot-free, no problem. And on one hand, you're like, hey, that's great. And on the other hand, you know full well that our government could make sure every one of us is okay, right? If this capitalist shitball system is going to stay in place, okay? But alas, when you have money and you have money stashed away, and if you got fired, it wouldn't matter because you got six months, a year living expenses stored in some savings account, collecting interest or in investments that are making you money. You don't have to worry about a thing. You don't have to worry about a thing. Hey, Chris, just so you know, I'm going to put this up here. I was such a drunk and a druggie at the time. My father said, hey, you can be a trash man or you can be a asbestos removal. He had no, no expectation of me being anything more than that because I was pickled. I was a fuck up. I was running for my life. I wanted to die. So that was my dad's thing, whether it be a good job or not. My dad threw that at me as a, God, I don't know what to do with this kid. He's useless. He's worthless. He's just not, not going to amount to anything in this life. Just stupid. I don't know. Okay. Love my dad. Made up with him. Everything's cool. He's dead. But, you know, point is, is that he really felt those things. And so that was used 
as kind of a thing. So in my head, I knew from day one, passed on from my father, who all he wanted for me was for me to do well, wanted me to achieve something, to be self-sustaining, all these things, right? But what he did was he ended up making me feel really bad. And it took years and years of therapy and other things to try and wiggle out from that. I'm really grateful that before my dad died, he and I were able to make make ends, make amends, so to speak, and, and really died as best friends. Um, but I want to say this point blank. This is kind of the story of millions and millions and millions of people. It's not just me, right? And so in order to be part of the upper class, you there's like an expectation that you look down on people as well, right? Because these people are like, Oh, you're hanging out with her. Oh, like tele. Right? You know what I'm talking about. And so all this alienation, all this elitism, and you see it now with these kids that go to these elite universities whose mommy and daddy took care of it for them. And they have other rich friends that help make sure they get rich opportunities. And they look down their nose and they gatekeep and they keep people like myself out of their world. Because after all, they're entitled. They were born into it. They were born of money, right? They were born of money. Now, it's easy to hate them because they're the ones, quite frankly, that are afraid to lose something. That when it comes time to vote or when it comes time to fight for better, they're the first ones to capitulate to the lesser evil because they've got something to defend. They don't want to lose. And they don't want to lose it even if it means we die, even if it means we die. You know what I'm saying? Even, even if it means we die, they don't want to lose it. Tight-fisted. Yeah, sure, somebody out there, there's people out there that feel you know really good about philanthropy, and I, I appreciate philanthropists, people that do good and want to do good and mean to do good. But when I look at the amount of alienation, the amount of sadness in the world, it's, it's really not hard to figure out. Number one, the people at the bottom are beaten down. They don't think they deserve better. So they don't ask for better. They don't demand better, right? Part of this process is to make you have very low expectations, very, very low expectations for better in this world, okay? So naturally, even the bottom, the bottom gets angry, but then they check out. They don't actually fight because they don't think they can win. They're conditioned everything in this life. Everything in this life is beyond them. They can't, they can't do it. They can't pull it off. So why try and yeah. And so it's just a lot of like bumper sticker logic. Yeah. Always something that's just right. Sort of not important that they focus on to kind of, you know, this is why this is, this is why this is, this is why this is. But the truth is the matter is the system that we are living in today. A system that has been around for a couple hundred years. Capitalism is not all that old, folks. Capitalism is not all that old. And if you go back to the dark ages, you go back to the dark ages. The dark ages, they had those who prayed, those who fought, and those who worked. They had three classes. Then little by little, the fourth class entered, and that was the merchant class. Now remember, nobles, they were not allowed to uh, work. 
The workers had to work. If they were found working, they would lose their nobility. Okay. The praying men, they were not allowed to fight because they were there to pray for the Lord's blessing or whatever. And then, of course, the workers served to fill the bellies of the fighters, the warriors, who in exchange defended them, at least in theory, etc. This was the this was the way the class worked back then. Capitalism has changed that significantly. Not that that was good. Let me be crystal clear. I'm not, you know, not deifying the uh, feudal times here. Okay. But I am saying that there was a period of time where people had roles and those were de facto classes. Now you look at places like India where they have caste systems and stuff like that, where you're born into a certain class and there's no way you can lose that. And people that are down at the bottom can never get out of that because of the caste system. Okay. There's a lot of this kind of stuff throughout the world at different levels and different ways expressed totally differently. But, but, but please put some before. Yes. So yes, uh, Mark, of course, you know this. Yes. Anyway, um, I want to be clear though. Class now is literally the people that work for a living, if you work for a paycheck, you're the working class. That's the deal. If you work for a paycheck, you're the working class. But we've created an entire generation of rentiers, an entire generation of investment people, people that suck off, suck off the fat of the people below them, the work that they did. On and on and on. On and on and on. And why does this matter? Well, you got the maggots out there. These maggots, okay? Yeah, I mean, Chris, you're right. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to go through that. But yes, you're absolutely right. There, the fact is, is that we are in a position now where we have kind of missed the point of what class is. And we've got these right-wingers these right-wingers that are mean-spirited that really, really, really bought into the makers and takers thing from Ayn Rand, who really took this class stuff and ran it through the roof, just really, really ran it through the roof. Yes, and we need to encourage people to stop using the term middle class. Absolutely correct, you know? And we do have a caste system. It's a de facto caste system. I agree 100%. Um, in any event, as we walk through this process of trying to figure out what we want when we get older and figure out what policies we want, what kind of society we want and, and so forth, right? Just remember, okay? Just remember that those bad MAGAs are still working class people. Those, those anti-trans people are still working class people. Those bigots and racists are still working class people. And this is, presents a very big challenge because you don't want to be a class reductionist. You don't want to ignore the pain and suffering that was wrought for years and years and years. Years and years and years of abuse, systemic abuse that we all endure, all endure as we are forced to reckon with our own position in society, you know? And 
you know, I think to myself, we don't have any class consciousness in this country. We don't have any real class analysis. We don't have any real understanding of how things came to be. And so we're always dealing with the outcomes. That guy's a bad guy. He's angry. He's mean. He's this. That guy's a bad guy. He's a bigot. He's prejudiced. He's whatever. That guy's a, a turf. He's bad. He's evil. He's whatever. Maybe true. Okay. Still working class. And so we've got this real weird divide going on now within the working class. Now you've got this woke versus anti-woke. And I see a lot of quote unquote leftists. Okay who ignore the intersectionality necessary to bring the entire working class together and vice versa. On the other side, you see the exact same thing from the right because they don't want to acknowledge that they're working class. They don't want to acknowledge that. Okay. And so within that space, within that space, uniting the working class to knock down the system of oppression is a Herculean task. Herculean, because you gotta get past all of the alienation you've experienced from the point of your birth, your upraising, all the stuff that's been reinforced on television, through schools, et cetera, and then in the workforce, and then at the voting booth, and then on television, on the news, and, and so forth. We will never, ever, ever achieve anything. We will never achieve anything. Because they, when I say they, I mean the people that are well-to-do, they will always, always find an excuse to support the inexcusable person, the person who will make life harder on the working class. They will make life harder, but they don't care because in the end, it's all about protecting what they have. They're not going to go down and fight a class war. They're not going to revolt, if you will, to bring about a change to the system. They're going to tell you you're crazy, that it's pie in the sky and that just deal with your station in life and do the best you can. And then they'll tell you to pray. Because after all, this earth is temporary. Eternity is forever. You have been born into this position for a reason. <clears throat> anyway, I tell you this because everything that I read talks about this vaunted working class, talks about labor versus capital. But labor, if it, you will, is divided into a million splinters. It's almost like a game. If y'all remember that old 8-bit game from Atari uh, Adventure, the keys are spread around, all the things are spread around. You got to find them all, right? They have splintered the working class a million different ways, whether it be age, race, whether it be uh, gender, whether it be, you know, type of employment, white collar, blue collar, whether it be Northern or Southern, whatever it is, there's always a new splinter that they put in there. 
There's a new splinter that they put in there. And so you've got both parties. I'm glad you put this in there. Yeah, I like the asteroids too. You got, um, put this up here. You know, all my life I grew up thinking that the Democrats were, um, yes, God, Kevin, yes. Holy shit, yes. When you think about Bacon's Rebellion, I'm going to go back. Rob Baxter pulled this up. Bacon's Rebellion was the first on record that I know of in the United States. Howard Zinn talks about Bacon's Rebellion. Michelle Alexander talks about it. I think even Sandy Darity and um, uh, in his book, uh, From Here to Equality, touch on it as well. But the fact is, is that going back to Bacon's Rebellion, all it took to get the quote-unquote working class together to fight back, all it took to dismantle the working class staying in solidarity was giving a couple people a little bit more than the others, and it immediately splintered them, immediately destroyed their movement, immediately destroyed their movement, immediately. So I think to myself, it doesn't take much to hurt us at all. It doesn't make take much at all to shatter the fragile nature of unity within the working class. And it's very, very challenging because right now there's business to be tended to. White conservatives tend to very much be afraid of losing more, losing place in society that they once thought they held, that white people held. They want to hold on to that for dear life. You can make it a really ugly thing, and it is a really ugly thing, but you got to understand it in and of itself is a result of this kind of struggle, this class struggle. And so as we move forward, you already know, number one, we're all splintered. There is a working class. There is an opportunity for unity. There is an opportunity for dialogue, but it will not happen in the Dems versus the R's, the D's versus the R's, because this is not a class thing. Democrats are just about as shitty and bourgeois and elitist as they come, Wall Street all the way. And Republicans, in their own way, different but the same. Different but the same. And their goal is to fight each other for their own power. They have no ideological proclivities whatsoever, except we need to stay on top. That's that. That's the end of the day. That's it. How do we keep them working for us so that we have nice things and get our house cleaned for us and our cars washed and we're driven to the airport when we're getting ready to go on another trip to the Maldives or Maldives or whatever? Turks and Caicos or whatever it is that rich people do. Okay. This right here, this divide is real. And if we can't find a way to make at least the people that are within our sphere understand what we're up against, really understand it and stop looking at each other and look back to the system that created this to begin with, this perpetuates every time. 
just like neoliberalism from the Democratic Party perpetuates the growth of fascism. Each of these things are cause and effect. But it starts with this concept of class disunity. And it starts with the concept of us not realizing our own power because those a couple steps above us are deathly afraid of losing their portfolio, deathly afraid of losing the perks and the privilege of their class and of their station in life. So they will not fight for us. They won't. So that means that whenever it comes down to a plurality, a vote, we're always going to lose. Electoral politics has enough people that are afraid to lose what they have that they will vote for whatever they can. They will vote for a Donald Trump. They will vote for a Joe Biden. They don't want to lose what they have. So they won't listen to people struggling and say, this is really going to kill me if you do this. They don't care. They don't want to lose what they have. I know you've seen it. I know you remember. Think about joining hands with every burner out there when Bernie was running the first time. And immediately, there was a certain group of people. There was a certain group of people that immediately flipped to Hillary instantly because they were always going to flip to Hillary. They were always going to fake left, go right. Because, of course, this is what this shit does to us. So if the lower class that had principles and willing to fight back, willing to fight back and unite together, we would be sneered at by the people just a couple steps up. You know the people. You've already experienced it at a different level. So if you can't get them to fight, to stop, dig in, and fight. And if you can't unite with the maggots because the maggots are busy freaking abusing trans kids, busy abusing homosexuals, busy abusing people that are poor. And if you can't find a way to do that, then the littles must find a way to unite in spite of those people. And we need to make it very, very painful that we're not going to give our labor to them, that we're not going to give our services to them, that we're not going to allow them to lead their cushy life at our expense. And when I say our expense, money is nothing. I mean, it's, it's something to us because we need it. It's our lives we're giving up. It's our time, it's our energy, it's our effort, it's everything we're giving up. It's time with our children that we're giving to them so they can spend time with their children, okay? We, the servant class, okay? We, the workers, really need to understand that we are only ever going to survive this disaster if we decide we've had enough. We've had enough. You're going to see the next Dahmer come out, and Dahmer's going to kill some more people, 5, 10, 15 people out of millions, 350 million people. Let me tell you something. As gruesome as that awful thing is, and as terrifying as it is, the part that is not terrifying to you 
to most people, unfortunately. The part that's not terrifying is, quite frankly, our federal government could solve all these problems yesterday. Literally. Literally could do it. If we forced it to, because the fact is, is that the government creates money, right? So this class is a policy decision. I want you to understand what I'm saying. This class division is a policy decision by our government, by the people that are in power in our government. And I want you to understand something else too. You're right about that. Defenders of the monarchy, even within academia. But imagine that we could solve all these problems. We literally could, not, not like figuratively, could, really could. It's, it's absolutely possible. The problem is that the poors have to keep getting our face kicked in. We have to keep losing sleep at night because we know that the ax is going to fall and we're going to lose our jobs or we're going we're gonna to end up having the tax burden come and have our homes taken or student loans are going to take our homes or our lives. We're stuck unless we fight back, unless we make a decision to do that. I'm telling you right now, You're not going to elect your way to a Green New Deal. You're not going to elect your way to a National Health Service. And you're not going to elect your way to really any meaningful substantive change until we unite. And if we unite, you're going to be uniting with people you don't like. You're going to be uniting with people that don't feel the same way with about things that are really gross. Right? Some of their beliefs are really disgraceful. But you know that that was part of the propaganda position that was pumped into them. It's part of their elite training to be a foot above you, to look at you shitty in the hallways at school, to tease and torment you for the clothes you wore at school. But ultimately, the government is making sure that we are desperate so that that exact situation perpetuates. Until we rise up, until we make demands, until we stop accepting this is just the way it is, until the people that kind of tell us it's just the way it is, until we force them out of the way, and we say, I don't accept that any longer. I just don't accept that any longer. You know, every time there's a carjacking, I mean, your first thought is, oh, my God, we need more police. This guy got carjacked. What about him? The guy who got carjacked, I feel horrible for. But people that are carjacking, you don't just wake up and say, yeah, I think today's a good day to go carjack somebody. Why not? This system breeds desperation. And if you can't participate in the legal economy, You'll participate in a different economy because you have no choice. You got to survive. And when you make decisions to try to survive, they're happy about that. They're really happy about that. Why? Because the minute you start with violence, they create a new industry, the, uh, the surveillance industry, the, uh, 
drug detection industry, the private prison industry. Um, <clears throat> all of these things are in very good way for them to make money. But moreover, the rich don't really need money. They've got real wealth. They'll never be broke a day in their lives. <laughs> Dude, me and you are like so, <laughs> my God, this guy is like my spirit brother. Anyway, I think that if you all take a pause and consider the impact of knowing that the country creates currency out of thin air and that the political class that we deal with um, knows this too, and they still wring their hands about how they're going to pay for bills and stuff. You should already know it's theater, guys and gals. You should already know it's theater. It exactly requires poverty. God, dude, why don't you come up here, man? I'll just let you go ahead and do this uh, live stream, Christopher. Christopher Delbridge, everybody. Christopher Delbridge. Bravo. I mean, it is. In order for us to see capitalism as it is, you must understand that they need a permanent underclass to serve the upper class. And that's the deal, folks. That is the deal. And ever since antebellum, they've been looking for a way to try to find an open-air prison for us all to live in to serve them. And that's why they raise interest rates. That's why they tighten the money supply. That's why they stop federal spending. That's why they start doing all those things. Anyway, we're not going to unite probably in my lifetime. I'd love for us to. But I, I mean, please let me know if you see any hope of that happening because I'm all I see is a bunch of people ready to sell out for the next Biden term. I see a bunch of people willing to sell out and be comfortable. I see a lot of people not willing, not willing to take a firm position, not willing to stand in the gap for the people that are going to suffer for their convenience and their comfort. So exactly, exactly, exactly right there, right there. Until we unite and make them hurt, they're not going to listen. It sucks. <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> anyway, I am going to go ahead and leave us on this thought. Folks, we are a 501c3 and a 501c4, real progressives and real progress in action. And... I want you to understand that we need funds and we need supporters and all that good stuff. So please, if you could like, and subscribe, please like this video, subscribe to the channel, share our videos. It's free. I'm not asking you to do something that's going to cost anything. I need your help. Share it around. If you think class struggle needs to be talked about, share it around. If you think understanding why we're here instead of blaming each other for dealing with this horrible disease called capitalism in some horrible disease fashion, you're punching in the wrong direction. We got to unite to take this on folks. And it's not going to happen by capitulation. So with that folks, I am Steve Grumbine and I am out of here as the rogue scholar. 
If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support our efforts, please take a moment to subscribe and check out our other work on the Real Progress in Action YouTube channel and visit our sister organization's website at realprogressives.org. 